0: hey i'm mark lee morrison and this is the 71st episode of low profile singer author and nashville songwriter hall of famer lang martin jr's compositions have been performed by the likes of soul legends the pointer sisters featherbed frontman barry manilow Bo diddley reba mcintyre Las Vegas regional sensation Elvis Presley, and Philly correspondent Carl Blouth. After over six decades in the background and just a handful of singles under his own name, 2023 marks Lang's debut album, Music Man.
1: Baby, turn the lights down low Turn up the radio It's midnight and your daddy's on the yeah.
0: Lang Martin Jr.'s Music Man is produced by his son Tucker Martin, who's brought us records by tons of folks including Modest Mouse, Roseanne Cash, Mud Honey, Laura Veers, My Morning Jacket, and friend of the show, Carl Blau. Today the two of them visit low profile via Tucker's Portland studio, Flora Recording and Playback. Lang shares stories about doing landscaping for the big band leader Benny Goodman. Writing songs in the air, accidentally meeting Jerry Lee Lewis, and how he reacted when he first heard one of his songs recorded by the King of Rock and Roll, friend of the show Carl Blau. And there's even a story about Elvis. Tucker speaks about his developmental practices in sound engineering and music, and the story behind his dad's first album to be released. Low Profile is supported by you through flexible monthly donations at Patreon.com/LowProfile. Olympia Washington in-kind support is thanks to Schwartz's Deli, Rainy Day Records, Old School Pizzeria, San Francisco Street Bakery, and Schurler Easy Premium Shitty American Lager from Three Magnets Brewing Company. Well, just uh, ahead of this interview, the listeners heard Music Man, the title track from your new album.
2: Thank you. Well, Music Man really is about how much I loved being alone in my room at night and listening to the radio and just the intimate feeling you get with the DJs and the songs and how you invent your life lying there in the dark in your bed. But also later on, when I was a teenager, I I loved being in my car alone at night on the highway in the dark and hearing the the DJs and the records, and it's just, that's what Music Man is about to me. The the people that just sort of enriched my life on the radio.
0: And so this record is made up of songs that you've had kind of kicking around?
2: These are songs that Tucker chose from basically all the songs that I've ever written which which began in late 1963 so that, what is that 59 years ago um, so one of the songs called Let the World Go By was from 1964 and then there's a song on there called I Can't Be What You Want Me To Be and that was written just b- well before we made the album so maybe six years ago
0: wow okay yeah
2: but yeah, the songs are from all aspects of, of my life, you know. Uh, mostly, most of my life was, boy-girl songs were most of my life. I just love the tension and feeling between, you know, boys and girls, men and women, lovers of all kinds. Uh, and all the songs that I grew up on were like Whole lot of Shakin', Jerry Lee Lewis, and um, All Shook Up, Elvis Presley. Uh, just just this this tension between discovering that you're crazy about somebody you know i thought it was just the greatest feeling going so lots of my songs were about that
0: yeah there's a lot of material just in that one feeling
2: (laughs) absolutely (laughs) endless yeah mark one of the interesting things about tucker tucker invented himself tucker had an idea of who he was really really young and he would be in his room when he was i'm gonna guess 13 or 14 and people like 35 years old would come over with floppy disks and stuff and they'd close the door and they'd be in the room and tucker'd be inventing sounds or just learning the computer and then he would be in the basement with his band and we would hear people auditioning for to be his singer or something, and we'd we'd hear people (laughs) saying absolutely incredible words they are coming up through our kitchen floor. And we're saying, wow, I hope they don't choose that guy. And then a few hours later, Tucker Whitcomb said, you wouldn't believe the horrible guy we just had auditioned for us. And Linda and I are going, oh, my God, thank you.
0: yeah, well, Tucker, I feel like we should give the, uh, the unwitting listener um, a little bit of background about your work as well, before we get really into the weeds here. Sure. So, uh, um, you grew up in Nashville, right? Yep. Yeah.
3: Grew up in Nashville.
0: Music and, City.
3: Uh, Music City. The great irony being, I left Music City the morning after my high school graduation
2: He did, absolutely Yeah, he he left Markley with What he thought was enough money And I I guess it was But, I mean, we gave Tucker $500 in cash And he burst into tears and said he didn't need it I mean, this kid is brave And he left He went to every state One night he called up I think he was maybe 19, Tuck Something like that And he said, Dad, I've been to every state Except Hawaii and Alaska Every state he could drive to He had been to when he was 19 Or (laughs) maybe 20, I don't know but he just had guts to burn from day one. I think he'd had his license just a few weeks. When living in Nashville, he said, "I'm going to a Bob Dylan concert in Wisconsin or Apple Valley, wherever that is." is that where that is, wherever I that is. So. He was going so. way the hell away, and it was great. Because Tucker just had this confidence that he could just take care of himself. He he could take care of himself when he was very, very young. He didn't bat an eyelash over any kind of problem. He never called home for help, put it that way. <laughs> I didn't have a quarter. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: And I was just about to say, it's a coin toss at that age, whether it's, um, whether it's naivety or it's uh, vision, you know? <laughs> Or, right, or, um, I yeah, mix. because a little bit of a little bit of each.
3: Yeah, yeah, right?
2: naivete really helps. Yeah, In everything. I to, to start out in the music business and think you can make three dollars and to stay alive is total naivete because it's it's got to be pretty much as hard as anything you could ever do. I that's my yeah. take. I don't know.
3: It's good. It's good when you're a teenager that you have no idea how yeah. impossible it's going to be to yeah. make a living doing you know a creative pursuit <laughs> yeah <laughs> or else you you might not try
2: there, but, there was a very famous songwriter in Nashville Mark Lee named uh, Boodlow Bryant and when I first met him he said the music business is a penny business never forget that and what he meant was you know you read your your royalty statements and you see all these pennies and hopefully they add up to something that but it is just pennies really like, they're paying you in pennies And it's a penny business also in the sense that you don't make, you know, you have times when you just you don't make any money, certainly. But then times when you just make very little, even when you're ostensibly pretty good at it. And so his warning really early on, he he wrote Bye Bye Love and Wake Up Little Susie and All I Have to Do is Dream and all these kinds of amazing songs. So I paid attention to anything he said. And he meant save your money, try and be, you know, frugal.
3: I had some friends, when I was in fifth grade, I had, one of my best friends was learning guitar, and one of my other best friends was learning bass, and they learned enough to play like Van Halen and kink songs and stuff like that on the power chords on the guitar, which to me at that age just sounded like they might as well, you know, they might as well have been Eddie Van Halen.
1: I was like, (laughs) you're incredible, that sounds exactly like it.
3: So... I was really <laughs> inspired and kind of envious too, like because it just felt like, well, now they have access to this entire other like magical universe, and mm-hmm. as much as I like to stand here and cheer them on, like I wanted to be part of it. So um, I had already been interested in the drums for a long time, but this was a real impetus. Now I thought, if I can learn how to play the drums quickly enough, at you know, passable, I could play with these guys before they find somebody else. Um, So, that just sent me on the fast track of just banging on, you know, whatever I could find. I mean, I literally, I feel like every drummer has this story, but I I 100% um, learned for a while on those empty ice cream tubs that my mom would get from Baskin Robbins when they were done, Um, and then eventually saved up for you know a snare drum and and a drum kit but so i was self-taught pretty much and just for the purpose of being able to play with my friends and we within like i want to say about six months we were playing we were busy we were a busy band playing like the eighth grade dances uh, eventually playing like vanderbilt frat parties and um and there was an all ages club and anyone that would have us but we you know we actually even started making some money we got our own PA system uh I was the band's treasurer i think looking back i realized i was kind of i, I was sort of managing the thing too cuz i thought well the only way this is going to happen is if we, you know like i don't really want to be doing this stuff but it's, but it's the only way it's going to happen
2: yeah
0: someone's got to step up <laughs>
2: Right. <laughs> One day day I walked into Tucker's room, he was on the phone, I think he's about 14, and this teen club had opened up, and they were sort of telling him that that he couldn't play play at the club, and Tucker said, have you ever heard us? And I just thought, this is so wonderful, because this is just how you have to be. (laughs) He said, well, you can't tell us we can't play there until you have heard us, so you have to hear us. And and uh, you know you're gonna like uh, you know I, I just and that was the kind of thing just at fourteen or whatever he was that he's exhibited <laughs> always it's like uh, yeah but yeah but you know it's uh, just always the seeing over the rainbow and able able to ask the next question to get you one inch farther down the road.
3: They did eventually have us play,
2: and then they had us back
3: because they liked us. Well, good. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I like that so story. I, I eventually, like, I would plug into our little um, custom PA six-channel mixer and then discovered that with some Radio Shack connectors, I could take this output from the back into my cassette deck, you know, just the left side of the cassette deck. But then I could record our practices, and I could listen back when everyone left and figure out, like, what sounded good and what didn't. And over time, I got more curious about making those recordings just sound more listenable, you know, cuz it you would, at first you realize well all you can hear is the singer or all you can hear is the uh, the guitar or something and yeah. So like that was kind of the beginning of eventually uh wanting to learn how to record and I never really I never really thought oh I want to I want to learn to be an audio engineer, but I did think I want to learn to like get the ideas with my friends, like what we're doing, I want to be able to capture it and then to capture it better, you know, kind of from the perspective of making things with my friends, not from wanting to, to just do it for other people's bands. Right. But then over time that presented itself and, and I realized that was pretty cool too, especially when I liked the artists
0: a lot. So cool. And that seems to be going pretty okay for you, huh? It's, yeah i've been staying (laughs) pretty busy (laughs) 30 years or something right yeah Yeah. unbelievable yeah you've you've got a pretty impressive (laughs) body of work uh production wise and uh also with your with your own music as well which we don't hear too often but
3: not very often no i need to i need to push that to the foreground here soon
0: then then your old man if you'll forgive the term yeah, that's um. <laughs> a, well
2: it's quite accurate <laughs> yeah um but
0: am i correct that this is your first lang martin jr album
2: i made an album about about 50 years ago 48 years ago or something it never came out oh, so this wow. is the first album that'll be coming out first to see the light of day i didn't even know that really yeah are like you it- learning this right now <laughs> I am I am just learning no, this no, right we now. We completed an album after, after Rub It In. I had a song called Rub It In.
1: Leave beside me on the sand Put some lotion on your hand Come on
0: I Come know that on, from uh, the 90s the air freshener commercials that's yeah, uh, isn't that my funny? first exposure <laughs> <laughs> well <laughs> but so I, I do have the 45 at home now really oh, nice. I do. oh my gosh
2: that's, yeah that's great well yeah. thank you that that was produced by Ray Stevens who's just a complete genius I don't yeah. know if you remember him Markley but he he had a lot of really big records incredibly imaginative
0: yeah he, he wrote teenage mutant Kung fu chickens. Also oh, in
2: the 90s. Oh, Jesus. Oh, my God. <laughs> Pretty well, he genius. he wrote the streak. Were, were you yep. around when the streak was a hit, you know? Oh, yeah, with the yeah. little, uh, the what do yeah, you call that whistle. kind of whistle? The whi- yeah. yeah, I don't even know, but but it was, yeah. He yeah, likes to show I, off it, his it, physique. Yeah, that's, that's right. it. And, you know, it was so interesting. Like, I stood around when he made his records, because I, I, I learned so much. But when he finished that record, it didn't have the whistle on it. And he, he just listened oh. to it over and over, and he said, this needs something. It needs some magical thing. And he, we went down to this music shop, and he tested whatever they had for sounds, and he said, I'm taking this whistle. This will do it. And he went back and put it on, and that was just the trigger that just smacked you in the face. And you said, I love oh, this it's record. It's iconic. Because of that whistle. And you, it's, <laughs> it's great so enough already, but the whistle is a coup de gras.
3: Yeah. And it, it is the sound that accompanies the image of somebody just like running by as fast as they can, yeah. right?
1: Yeah.
2: Woo! Yeah. I mean that's <laughs> right. what that
0: sound means now. Yeah, <laughs> that's right.
1: Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> well yes, they call him the street. Look at, that, look at that He likes to show off his physique. Look at that, look at that. if there's an audience to be found, you'll be streaking it around, inviting public critique.
0: <laughs> so pretty iconic. So he, yeah. he produced uh he produced a whole record for you or did he produce the yes the we rub it produced in all
2: the sides uh the whole yep ten sides ten or twelve sides wow and yeah and you know my next record after rub it in what didn't do that well so they decided they wouldn't put the album out no. this
0: album is really something though it so you've been working on it for did you say six years. No, no. It, We've
3: been sitting on it finished for at least six years. Oh wow. We yeah. made it quickly,
2: very quickly. What started it, Markley, is one Christmas, Tucker gave me studio time for an album. He said, "Dad, this this is your present was on a car, card. Um, I'm giving you my studio and me as the producer to make an album together." And that's what started it. And so we set the date. It was in uh, May after Christmas. And we worked for this week. And in the meantime, Tucker chose the songs. And um, I learned them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and we we made it. And it was just so much fun. He got wonderful, fantastic music musicians who I, immediately we all bonded. And just we have this magical thing that we did in this week. So we will see them again tomorrow. There's some
0: heavy hitters on this album. You want to tell me a little bit about the personnel?
2: Well, you go through them, Tuck, You tell.
0: Okay, sure. Um, a, a year or so before
3: we made this record, I made a record with a friend, Carl Blau. Sure. Um, and the arrangement for that record was actually very similar to this one. I was going to choose the songs, and I was going to choose the band. And Carl was basically going to come in and be just be the singer, like, like the way they, that at least I picture they would make a George Jones record in nineteen seventy five or something, right? You know, right. like, I mean, I'm sure he was part of the conversation about the songs, but I think that a lot of those choices were being made by the the label and the the producers. And so we made this record with Carl, and it was. You know, we thought it was probably just going to be for fun. It was getting together with our buddies, all of us who had been close friends for a long time and who just admired what each other did. And we were all in to do it, even though it wasn't like there was some label with a big budget. We did it. We had a blast. And during the process of that, it dawned on me how to make a record with my dad. Because we had been talking about it forever. Every time we saw each other, we'd say, we should do something. We should do something. And... (laughs) I guess I could just never visualize exactly how it would go down enough to just pull the trigger and be the one to to make it all happen. But with this Carl record, this team felt so good and I know that all of them were big fans of my dad, like personally but also musically. So that's when it, it hit me. I was like, Yeah, we'll get we'll pick the songs and get this same crew back together. Cool. For
0: dad's cool. record. And and, and so, it, Lang had a song on uh, "Let the Let the World Go By" was also on that record.
2: Yes, yeah, God, you got exactly. a good little brain up there that's just <laughs> working like crazy. Yeah, thanks. I listen to uh. what I like. Well, Carl's album is so absolutely fantastic. I just can't believe how good that thing is. One song after another.
1: I was so honored
2: to be on that song. That version.
1: Some days are just lonely days. Some days it just rains. Some days are just lonely days. And they don't bring nothing to pain. Times, you know how it just don't pay to cry Just lie in the, shade and and the world by.
3: in fact Dad liked Carl's voice so much from having heard the so that that's how I got to Memphis had was something Carl and I had done years before we made that album right. And then, and I know dad just loved that. And he had yeah. said to me like, oh, I would just, that's the kind of voice you'd just do anything to hear that yeah, person sing one I, of your songs. Really. And I've only heard dad say that about a few people in his life. And I mean, Elvis Presley recorded one of his songs in the in the late 70s. and
2: Yeah, I don't have any record of any, even great people that I love any more than that Carl record. That would be in my top very few. He's just so good. It's an and instant played, classic. Yeah. It, 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 it I really think so, and he, you know, he plays the guitar, a, a lot of the guitar on there, like, um, the lead parts, right? Am I right On that? On that song,
3: Carl yeah, did, yeah. on that
2: song, yeah. I mean, he made, it's just, he's just such an amazingly talented pre- person. It's a magic It's really thing. something, Mark Lee, how many amazingly talented people there are floating around, and, uh, but you and incredibly talented, but when we hear Carl, it's it's a different level of talented because it's completely one of a kind. He doesn't sound like anybody. He just has a voice of his own. His vocals are just—you just think he's going to die at the end of this song, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> he's got that Thank nice little
0: crackle in his voice. Oh that, man, just at the right pain,
2: moments, pain get mm-hmm. that sweet spot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um,
3: so. I was going to introduce the players on the record. Steve Moore, one of my dear old friends, one of the first musicians I befriended when I moved to Seattle at the end of 92, plays uh, the keyboards. All I, I want to say all the keyboards. I want to be sure I'm right about that. But the piano, organ, Wurlitzer, whatever whatever needed to happen with keys. Mm-hmm. I think there's some, a little bit of it's Juno synthesizer on there. Um, Eli Moore, no relation. Sure, sure. P- plays that. Just sublime, sparkling electric guitar and most, if not all, the bass. So I don't have the credits in front of me, and there was occasionally people would switch around instruments, but Eli played most or all the bass and some acoustic guitar. Eli also will just make a magic sound happen with whatever you put in his hands.
0: Yeah, he's got magic fingers. He does. (laughs) Both both (laughs) Eli and Carl have hosted guest-hosted episodes of this show in the
3: past so. oh no kidding really? so the listeners really? will
0: be familiar yeah. oh, okay gosh. Yeah. great yeah
3: this is all in the family yeah
2: and it's the sensibilities of, of all of us match you can just tell that what we think is important in in life in general must be the same because we gelled so quickly and the sounds that we loved we all loved we didn't really have to debate too much. It just went so smoothly. Yep, Markley. I couldn't count how many times I have been riding to lunch with somebody in Nashville and they'd have their radio on and they'd shriek at some note that the that, that singer missed on the radio or or how uh, some record sped up or how it slowed down or whatever. It's some flaw. And I think it's fascinating. Nobody cares this shit. They just want to know, <laughs> do I love this? It's making me feel so fabulous. Don't tell me that it slows down. it speeds up it should speed up. it's perfect you know yeah and i think i think that's what tucker's talking about this this feeling
0: yeah definitely the feeling is really important if if people aren't having a good time i i feel like you can hear that if they're just if they're just working yeah it it might just come across sounding like work or just not have that little touch of soul that you need yeah really You know there was agree. a famous
2: famous songwriter named Harlan Howard and he said exactly what you just said Pe- people would play him a song sometimes and he'd they'd say well what do you think of that and he, he said it sounds like a man working mm. and and that's really what you're talking about <laughs> I
0: love Harlan Howard mm. Bakersfield
2: Oh god right. that guy was so unbelievably busted Mhm um, he he had an amazing thing that that he like, sort of a famous thing in Nashville but it's worth it's fair He would go to the bar every day around 11 o'clock and one day this kid was there, songwriter, just crying the blues to him, pouring out his heart and all the horrible treatment that he'd gotten and how he hadn't really, no one was paying attention to him and he wasn't getting anywhere and he was just desperate and everything and when the kid finished his tale of woe, Harlan looked at him and said, son, did anybody send for you? (laughs) <laughs> and, yeah, that's about all the message you need to know you know you're you're there because you want to be and it's not everybody's job to just love what you're doing it's just I don't
0: know. <laughs> what was the first song that someone someone recorded of yours
2: there was a guy when i was in new york starting out who had written a lot of hits and he Asked me if I'd write with him. Why, I don't know. But uh, f- I finally did. I really got songwriting lessons from him. And we wrote a few songs. The Christie Minstrels were a, a, sort of a folk group at the time. And they recorded a few of them. And then other songs of ours were recorded by good people. I don't know if you ever heard of Bri- Brian Hyland. He had a big hit with uh, Itsy Bitsy, Teeny Weeny, Yellow Polka Out Bikini. I don't know if yeah, you remember. Yeah. It was a ma- <laughs> massive hit. This was on the back of one of his hits, which was called... The Joker went wild, and uh, we our song on the back was called I Can Hear the Rain, and that was one of the first that was on a single, which I was actually holding in my hand.
0: is low profile i'm mark lee morrison and i've been speaking with the songwriter lang martin jr and his son producer tucker martin lang's new album is called music man is it true that you were a non-musician when you became a songwriter
2: in a way yeah i didn't have a guitar i didn't well, I still don't read music or anything. I didn't mm-hmm. own a guitar. I wrote Let the World Go By just in the air. Yeah. Just like, well, some days are just lonely days. Walking around my neighborhood, and I thought, this is fantastic. This is utterly the greatest thing I ever could imagine. And I sang that to musicians, and I think we had it played on a harmonica. Yeah, I think we did. Um, and But that was just so exciting. I was one of my early demos, and I thought, God, man, they liked my melody. They played it. They, You know, this is the most exciting thing in the world. And yeah. then I, I think I got a guitar that, if you can believe it, it cost $15. I, I know it did. And I just learned those chords that I could play, you know, again, all shook up and a whole lot of shaking. And I realized, well, all the songs that I love, I can play on these few chords and I can play them. And so how can I make these chords, write some songs and, and use it, them to write some songs of my own and it just was so basic but it was basic because all the songs that I loved were just these few songs and maybe had I you know kind of come of age during the Beatles or something when they use more complex chords that would have been something but it really was just Buddy Holly and Jerry Lee Lewis and, and Elvis and they were my guiding lights you know and i used the chords that they used
0: yeah three chords in the truth like they say right
2: yeah yeah but i i didn't really know what i was going to college in new york and i i had written this song called swagger which i was just certain was going to be bigger than football in about two hours (laughs) and there was a bar on broadway called the turf bar and i knew all the musicians and songwriters hung out in this place, and I saw these two black guys with, you know, pompadours and sunglasses on inside and everything. And I said, "They got to be songwriters." Mm-hmm. And I just went up and asked them if they were songwriters. And they, honest to God, they laughed for for thirty seconds. <laughs> they just thought it was the funniest thing. They're slapping their knees and high fiving each other and everything. <laughs> was, you know, the funny. They said, um, "So." you're a songwriter. What instrument do you play? And I said, well, I really don't play an instrument. I just, just sing the songs. And the guy said, in the air? And I said, yeah. And again, they just broke into these incredible high fives. And they said, you're all right, boy. You're all right. And they told me where to go to get my demo made. And it, that, the demo cost $80, including the studio and the musicians. So I went out with this disc and it had my name on it and title Swagger. I went home and I, I looked on the back of my Elvis records and it t- said where the music publisher was. And I went and knocked on the door and, and that's what started it all. I played played swagger for this guy. He didn't wig out for it like I did or anything. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and it just starts there, you know, and you just start it and you say, this is just too much fun. I love it, you know. And I don't care if, if everybody likes my song. I'm going to find someone who likes it and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. It's the whole it's the whole. That's a whole game. I mean, the song that Elvis recorded was a song called Way Down. I I played that song for every single person I could think of. And that no one even held it overnight. And then the biggest guy who ever made records in history loves it. And yeah. the day he the day he dies, it's number one on the country charts. It's the craziest thing in the world. One day, on, like on a Tuesday, I got a phone call from a promotion guy in Nashville who said... Uh, Lang, I just got the numbers for Billboard next week and your record goes to number 1. And 2 days later, 2 days later, I get a call from my lawyer in Nashville who says, "Are you near a TV? Did you see that Elvis died?" That that's how crazy it is. Wow. It turned out to, it turned out that it's literally the last new song he ever recorded. Unbelievable. It's just ridiculous. And and I went through Gra- Graceland about i don't know seven or eight years ago and i walked in the jungle room and i had that earphones on that that they give you you know that to hear the go through the
0: for like a walking tour
2: yeah a walking yeah. tour yeah. yeah and they're playing my damn song in the jungle room because it was recorded in the jungle room wow it, it's just you know it's yeah. just you go it's along your life around and around you and, and you just never it's the craziest thing in the world you know in full your,
0: circle what like 45 yeah. years ago
2: well, yet what it was really full full circle was the day I was in the studio while they were mixing way down. It was dark, completely dark in the studio, and the producer Felton Jarvis, who was a legend, legendary guy, and a man named Brent Mayer, who's now a legendary record producer and recording engineer. I had never met either one of them, and they're there, and. I'm on this couch leaning back and I'm thinking of the first time I heard Heartbreak Hotel in the station wagon going to the movies with my 7th grade girlfriend and going crazy for that record and I'm thinking it's 20 years later and this guy's you know it's just the impossible dream you know more than you could ever ever dream for you know
3: weren't you you were at someone's office pitching a song and you were on your way out or something and someone you recognized came in and was like oh hey Lang deep you got anything you think would be good for Elvis wasn't it just like that you just happened to be
2: Well yes that yes that that he's exactly right I used to take my songs around Nashville which is called pitching songs you know you right. would just go around knock on doors and pitch your songs to people if you could get in and it was you know getting in was just the name of the game because Are we talking you were,
0: labels or studios or producers you could or? get
2: re- record producers labels Anyone you knew who had any connection, mm-hmm. you know, people were often, you know, I mean, I knew case where guys were a dentist and that they, they had a connection, and you played a song for a dentist. I mean, it's just insane like that. Yeah, but it, but in this case, I was sitting in an office waiting to play my songs, and at the time, the most famous music publisher in Nashville was a man named Bob Beckham, and he came in, sat sat down next to me. And he said, "Hey, Lang, do you ha- do you have anything for Elvis?" Well, everyone in Nashville knew that Bob Beckham had a direct line to Elvis because Felton Jarvis, the producer, would come in there every couple of weeks and pick up songs that Bob Beckham published and take them back and see if Elvis liked them. And that he he just got an enormous number of songs recorded because he had this great relationship, and he did not need to share that relationship with anyone and when he asked me for that I just couldn't believe it I said yes I do and anyway a long story I I, I went to Ray Stevens and said it's going to cost 20 bucks or something to get a disc cut Elvis would only listen to discs you couldn't give him tapes right and, and the legend was that he would put it on often on a really inexpensive record player in the studio and if he didn't like it he would sort of frisbee it across the studio <laughs> oh man so I took the Way down over To Bob Beckham's office And about a week later Felton Jarvis The producer Called Ray Stevenson Said Elvis is gonna go crazy For this song And 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 I So Ray came back And told me that, And he said Lang Felton just called And he said Elvis is gonna go crazy For that So I mean I I just completely went Crazy myself And then Four months passed And I never heard Another word And I was out pitching songs one day, and on the street I heard that Elvis, again, was looking for songs. Got another disc cut and took it back to Bob Beckham. And about three hours later, I got a call from Bob Beckham's secretary saying, Lang, I think Elvis has already recorded this song. And I said, well, that's impossible, I would know. And she said, let me check. So she went and checked and she said, yes, he recorded it on October 30th at such and such a time. You know, when I, <laughs> So, I mean, I got in, we had this tragic Volkswagen that had no headliner in many colors outside. I jumped in this car and went racing home to tell my wife that this had happened because it was just such an incredible culmination of you know, I never knew if it would ever come out or anything Yeah, or anything would ever happen but just the idea that he had recorded so anyway that's that's a long story of something that was just kind I, of unbelievable I love that story
0: uh, that's incredible wow I wonder if uh, if any of your old demos might ever see the light of day if there's some uh, demand after this album <laughs> comes out <laughs> I
2: don't know I had a pretty good demo of Way Down um, yeah. And, yeah. And Elvis, it's, it's fairly similar, wouldn't you say, Tom? Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty you have similar. That? Do you Do you think we could hear that? You could play
1: it if you want to. Oh. Baby, you're getting closer. being before
3: way down it's it's also such a unique sounding song like it doesn't sound like anything it doesn't sound like an elvis song i don't really did you run home after you saw bob beckett and write a song with oh no 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 you already had
2: it so there were three songs that i thought might be good for him on this disc i could only have two songs one on each side I was literally walking out the door. I was way down was one, Rub It In was another, and there was another song called Don't Boogie Woogie When You Say Your Prayers Tonight, which became, well, Jerry Lee Lewis ended up recording it, but it, it also became a really massive record in France by a French guy called Pod. de Boogie Woogie, Don't Boogie Woogie. Ah. But those were the, those were the three songs, so I was going out the door, and she said, what songs are you going to play? In? What are you going to do? And I said, well, I i've kind of decided the two i'm going to put on the disc but not really what do you think she said you should put way down on there and i i promise you i wasn't going to put way down on there wow that's how that's how much you don't know in the world if she had been in the bathroom i i would have played put the other two songs on there
0: i imagine so, jerry lee lewis was another heavy hitter for you like personally someone that meant a lot yeah to you yeah
2: he really up. he really was i, I I was just completely crazy about him. He recorded three or four of my songs. Did you ever um, get to meet him? Yeah, I did. And, you know, it was so unbelievable. I was standing next to him for about a half an hour, literally. But I, I had no idea it was Jerry Lee Lewis. He didn't look and, like and, the killer? <laughs> no, he didn't. And, of course, he wasn't doing his crazy... You know, there was just no... But but I also wasn't looking at him. He was over here. And, well, finally, I realized... <laughs> I mean, you know, I realized, I said, holy sh**, you know, you're, oh my God, you recorded a few of my songs. You know, it was one of those where all of a sudden then I'm, a, I'm a teenager again. <laughs> I was a pool boy for Benny Goodman when I was growing up because we lived in a very rural part of Connecticut where most of the people around us were plumbers and, you know, carpenters and simple you know kinds of jobs but after the second world war it got kind of fancy because wealthy people from New York could drive an hour and get out there and they were buying summer houses and weekend houses and everything but I mowed every yard in our neighborhood and I just knocked on all the doors and when new people moved in I knocked on the doors and and I knocked on that and it was Benny Goodman's family and I ended up you know being their pool boy and his lawn boy and drove them to concerts when I was later on but it, he was my first look at someone who was not corporate. It was a major thing. I, 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 it really made an impression on me to be weeding gardens on a Tuesday afternoon and to see him asleep at, by the swimming pool. It, it just, I, I never, I wasn't writing songs. It never occurred to me I'd write, be involved in music. Mm-hmm. But the idea there was another way to live with a little more freedom would really stuck with me. Or hearing him,
3: overhearing him practice, right? Oh yeah, oh about yeah. That. The
2: first day I went went there, I'm so glad you reminded me of that, Tucker. This was a massive lesson that I've never forgotten. I'm weeding his rose beds, and over the apple trees comes the sound of a clarinet just playing, da 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 da, over and over. Every day I went to work there. That's what I heard. Oh wow! Yeah, the most famous clarinetist in the world practices every day every day and so there were all these little lessons that crept in from from him you know also you learn a lot from people who aren't in your family you know men who aren't in your family you you see how they are how they live good or bad and you know and you, you pick up things that you wouldn't if you weren't you know out and about
0: You've lived a very storied life so far and uh, <laughs> I, I, only, I, only
2: only 30 years to go oh man <laughs> <laughs>
1: I never will forget the July that we met I was riding around with a broken heart At driving place I found And I heard you singing When I rolled my window down Singing summertime loving Summertime loving got all.
0: I gotta say um after a few listens to your record um summertime lovin is the one that will not get out of my head
2: oh that's so nice but and that's a
0: song about a song
2: yes is you this, are so right
0: is it yeah. about a real
2: song or is no, it no it's, it's about not. itself it, it's about itself yeah <laughs> and i mean everything about that song is just so much part of mike growing up you know we'd go to these diners and it, people would come to the. Wind car window and to give you your hamburger and then you drive off with your girlfriend. I mean, it's just so you know it's so that's one of my all time favorites in the heart. song when did you write that one? Uh seventy
1: four.
2: Okay. That yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I just love that. It was it was recorded by some good people. <laughs> I forget who it was. Some they good were, people recorded it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs>
3: Oh yeah, Mo- most of the songs, I mean, honestly, I, I chose the songs that I chose for us to do for the record because I loved the original version so much. <laughs> I just made a connection with that song too, that's, that's, that's kind of fun and meta, the way that that song is about another song. And The version on our album, at the tail end, as our version ends, I just snuck in a quick fade out of the demo. Yes, you did. I caught that. It <laughs> was just
2: your yeah. Was it was you, my right? demo, yeah. but 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 a record company put it out. A record company called there was a record company called Playboy Records for a while. They were distributed by CBS. They they were a major. They had a, a country singer named Mickey Gilly on the label. Oh sure and, sure. And yeah. and I had a few releases on that label, and Summertime Lovin' was one of them. Oh, Dad great. played but,
3: baseball but it, for the Playboy.
2: Baseball team, right? yeah, yeah. Oh man, that was Playboy <laughs> decided they needed a baseball team, so mm-hmm. <laughs> we, we, they made baseball cards for everybody. Mark. I've I mean, on find the back, it looked just like a real baseball card with your number and you know, and your the Playboy salary, bunny, you know, zero. It was uh, the same company, right? Because yeah, it was the, yeah, it was the yeah, same yeah logo, it was yeah, yeah. I mean, it was fun. They they. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we all we all had baseball cards for a while. It was on our refrigerator. I guess we've changed refrigerators <laughs> or something. But as, were you ever in cahoots with Terry
0: Cashman? Speaking of baseball, no,
2: no, 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 no. I didn't know they were really successful, but I didn't know them. Yeah. I I think they they may still have lived in New York when they were.
0: Yeah, he's a New York know, guy. He's still over y- there. Yeah,
2: is he really? I, yeah, yeah, I I know they they did lots of great stuff, but no, I never met him. Wow. well Nashville Nashville is just incredibly giving community and, and just the way Bob Beckham helped me you know get that way down recorded um, we were often pitching each other songs and stuff like that and you know like if we had an appointment and, and someone played us a song we said oh my god that's just incredible and that that guy couldn't get in to see somebody that you know one of us would take it if we we could in my time growing up People helped each other often.
0: Well, Tucker and Lang, I think you two have really done the world a service by coming together and manifesting this album. And um, <laughs> I
2: think <laughs> well, thank it's I,
0: just a treasure trove of terrific songs that are given a new light. Lang, your voice sounds sweet and buttery as it ever did. Well, that's you could have so told nice. me this album was recorded 40 years ago, and I <laughs> wouldn't bat an eye. <laughs> that's uh, so heard nice. I've a lot of people Thank say
1: you.
2: that. Yeah. Thank you. Well, that's due to Tucker. Tucker, I mean, I owe every single solitary bit of this to Tucker, and it's just such a pleasure oh, because I never could have done it. I never could have put it together. Never would have chosen the songs and the way he arranged them on the album. It just it's perfect, and I told him, you know, when we made this record, I just said, I wish you had been able to play on all my demos because you, you, we just have the same heartbeat or something, and it where he would hit that drum would be exactly where I would, you know, <laughs> and it was so gratifying in every way. I, I hear those records and I think, God damn, that's just perfect, you know. So,
3: so so incredible to get to make something with your father like this. Something so personal.
0: Well, I'm glad that that it came together and that you're sharing it with us, and it's it's history now. It's in the books.
2: Thank you. (laughs) Well, thank you for caring and for doing this, Markley. You're great at it, and we really appreciate it.
0: This has been the 71st episode of Low Profile with Markley Morrison. Lang Martin Jr.'s album Music Man is out May 19th, 2023 on Bloodshot Records. You can find a link to that and other music referenced in today's program on this episode's website, as well as a full archive of previous episodes. That address is lowprofilepodcast.com. One kiss and
1: I'm walking on air One night and my troubles Happen
0: time on the show, Phil Elvram returns to the program with audio engineer Matthew Fenton. Take care till then.